Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hi, kids. Um, <clears throat> welcome back to the program. I'm me, you're you. Thanks for being here. We are a, an inclusive program. Everybody's welcome. Broadcasting live from Treaty 7 Territory. And as you'll soon find out, uh, all of us today are all regaled and ready for Stampede. Huh? <laughs> Eric Dachik joins us. Well, you're going to jump in right away. Of course, brought to you by the Ski Cellar Snowboard. SkiCellarSnowboard.com, 76 years now. Close for the summer, but always available 24-7 online. SkiCellarSnowboard.com. Um, do you, when's the last time you stampeded? That's a good question. Um, it would have been back when I was working for the Globe and Mail and, uh, the sports editor there at the time was Tom Maloney Yep. and Tom had worked here in, in Calgary. So he paid more attention to the Rangeland Derby and to, to, uh, to the rodeo than any sports editor before or since. And, <laughs> okay. uh, and so I, you know, like I, I remember my first, uh, my first year uh, covering sports in in, uh, in Alberta for the Calgary Albertan, Toronto kid just moved here, and uh, and Lynn Watson, the sports editor, said uh, you're on the Rangeland Derby, and I didn't even know what that was. He said, he said chuck wagons. Still didn't know what he was talking <laughs> about. Al Rakabar, who was <clears throat> a more senior guy at the time, uh, and I think his uncle Rocky Rakabar was was a pretty uh, well known uh, rodeo personality and al showed me the ropes one night so <laughs> so he drags me to the stampede um we get up into the eye in the sky and uh and we're watching and uh and it looks fascinating uh you know like the just sort of i just thought it was chaotic mm -hmm. the first time i ever saw it but but just enthralled by it to be honest and then and, and then we went down to the barns and al just picked out somebody to, to write about because it was more of a feature writing assignment than than anything else until you know later on in, in the in the event and on day two that was it i was i was the rangeland derby correspondent for the calgary albertan after having seen it one time which proves my point in our in our industry uh you you can be a self-styled expert very very quickly by about the fourth the day it's like how did he miss that barrel <laughs> <laughs> so so uh so i did that pretty consistently for a little while really enjoyed it and then uh, and then uh a f you know a f let's say seven or eight years ago tom maloney said you know can you go down and and give us something on on the rangeland derby and uh so i did and i was down in the infield watching it and you know again just completely enthralled by it it's just uh you know i, I was never a big rodeo person yeah but i loved the chucks i just loved the chucks so it's but it's been a while because normally i'm you know normally 
the way hockey writing works is, you know, once you get past uh, J July the 1st, you're on vacation. And I vacation in Ontario uh, uh, most of the time. So, so, and, and, but, but the other thing, beauty uh, is that nowadays you can watch the Rangeland Derby on television. Yeah. So we're out at our, our place at the lake and, and we're watching, you know, the highlights of, uh, of the Chucks, you know, which is, which, which is great. But, but in actual, in terms of actually being on the grounds, you know, 2015, maybe it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I was l lucky enough to do the rodeo uh, for, I think five, uh, seven years, I think with Dwayne yeah. Gaines and I loved it. Like oh. I loved it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I don't know if the listeners loved it as much as I did sure. because of course, you know, Oh, the flame side, Todd Bertuzzi, let's go to the rodeo. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah, <laughs> that yeah, was a little yeah. every once in a while, but I tell me the equivalent in the world because there needs to be an equivalent of the rangeland derby it seems like this incredible it seems like f1 and indycar yeah, and yeah. everything rolled into one yeah. yet this is it right like you know you don't go to new york to see it or anywhere else yeah. where is there a sport that enthralls a community yeah. at the level that the rangeland derby does that that goes not nowhere else they go all across Alberta and Western Canada, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, right? no, I am. And, and I can't think of one off the top of my head, Rob, because the one thing like F1 is a great uh, uh, comparison, maybe NASCAR even more so because, you know, NASCAR is run more often in close quarters than, uh, yeah. than F1 is, but, but it, it's, you know, like so much of that is, is the machine and the driver, you right. know, well, there you have here, you have the, the third component, which is the horse, you know, or the team of horses and how they relate to one another. And, and, you know, like, you know, having an experienced horse, you know, turning and then the more or an experience where it's, you know, I mean, it's like everything else, you know, the first time you see it, you have no idea. And then a few times, you know, once in a while, or after a period of time, people start to explain the ins and outs of it and you get it a little bit mm -hmm. more but i really can't think of anything and in fact the one thing that struck me again i'm watching on television and and last year there were only three wagons instead of four right yeah yeah for safety and, yeah. yeah and and so i looked at that and it was like wow that that's a really big change and it didn't seem quite as chaotic and and, and I, I mean i completely understand why why they went to that uh for for safety uh, you know, hundred uh, percent. But but it just it didn't seem the same to me. It just didn't seem the same. So um, you know, still watched it, but uh, but somehow it was you know the four wagons charging out of the infield at the same time, all trying to to get to the rail. Uh, you know, the thundering hooves, especially especially if you're down at the track. I mean, it's great to see on television, but when oh, you are a, as a live spectacle, when when you're down there, right right at the track, and and see those those horses, you know, and, and the the four wagons racing by and then the outriders behind it. it it's it's like nothing really it's like nothing i've ever seen as i said you know i'm i'm a toronto raised kid that had never seen this before it wasn't on television in 1978 and uh and i came out here and it's like wow this is really something this is really, really well, something and again because we we were raised prior to the internet so our knowledge of the wide world was not the same so right. you know every as a kid as a teenager you come to calgary for this stampede and the chuck wagons are it and your uncle's giving you advice and telling you that that outrider didn't do you, yeah. you know it, yeah, yeah, when yeah. you can get to the point where there's faux experts in your family yeah. or in the bar yeah. Yeah. telling you you know the sport has made it i just assumed this was worldwide yeah. just the way this city rallies around it, it's incredible yeah yeah and, and and i think it is what makes it unique because uh you know you do I mean, you know, there's there's lots of great rodeos, you know, all through the United States and and and, and Canada. But uh, to me, the signature event of the Stampede is the Rangeland Derby. Oh. 
absolutely and, and it always will be absolutely um are you uh, you're a tennis fan mm-hmm. oh yeah i just i need to give a little love we've got jeff bell the executive director of badminton alberta coming on the onyx canada opens at Windsport. Do you, do, you, do you dabble in pickleball or badminton or any of the other racket sports well uh i bought two pickleball rackets like okay. three weeks ago and four fila pickleballs and uh, I played the game once okay. with my friend Gary Lawless ah, in, yes, in Vegas. In Vegas. Uh, it's been a while, um, and uh, but but no, I haven't uh, I haven't got into it the way say Craig Button has or, or other people. That he, have, he's not addicted, but he's big time he's, into. He's it. a big time, and 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 the people in in hockey that uh, that love it love it a lot. You know, like Yarmo Kekalein, and you know could probably go on tour as a pickleball player. Really? Oh yeah, a really good player. Um, and and bad, bad, it's interesting you should bring up, up badminton because again I'll reference uh, the the very start of my sports writing career when when you're the the low man on the totem pole you cover everything and so you know uh, a national badminton event comes to to Calgary you know you're assigned mm-hmm. to cover it so again you know you're down there watching in a gym I think it was at Mount Royal College the first time I ever saw badminton played at, at a high level and it's like wow this is a lot different than the badminton we play in the backyard at the cottage and <laughs> uh, the speed you know the way the shuttle uh, yeah. it, it's fascinating it's another one of those live sports that if you have a chance to see it once you should do it because it's it's again you can see it on television and and, and I think the athleticism generally comes through but when you see it, when you're, you know, 15 or 20 feet away from the court, and, and these are people playing at the highest level of the sports, it, it's, it's something to, it's I, something to. And an Olympic gold medalist men uh, players here. Yeah. But what I didn't appreciate was nearly half a million dollars American yeah. in prize money for the tour stop here. Right. That's significant. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Again, th- th- neither of those sports is a sports that I'm familiar with. I'm still a tennis player. And, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people my age um, have gravitated to pickleball because tennis does, you know, create wear and tear on your body yeah. and, and eventually it wears out. But so far, so good. Um, still, and in fact, uh, you know, we, we still play a lot of singles tennis right now because I find that doubles is a little bit too stationary and I get, you know, feet get stuck on the court. And, happy, and you, you, you get happy feet. Well, you have to keep moving in tennis. Like yeah. you have to be on the tip on, on the balls of your Absolutely. feet all the time and watch the ball off of the racket. And, and the minute you, you know, like if, if you're at the net and, and your partner's serving in doubles, you know, sometimes you might go five to seven minutes without making a, you know, a, a play on, on, a ball and, and you just lose the rhythm of it whereas in singles you're you're constantly you know you're hitting the ball you know every every few seconds and uh and so i yeah I, i'm still a tennis player at heart but but racket sports are, are again one of my favorite things to to do and uh we bought the pickleball rackets because some of our of our friends uh are just pickleball players they've mm-hmm. you know they've gotten away from uh, from tennis and i and i said well, well, we'll buy pickleball bats and we'll, we'll play some pickleball this summer. So if you ask me that question in, in September, I can probably give you a, more of an update. But uh, but the time that I played with Gary, I mean, he's explaining, oh, that ball's in the kitchen. I have no idea what he's talking about. So I have to figure out the rules of the sport. But uh, but just in terms of the actual process of, of batting it back and forth, I found after five minutes uh, you could play reasonably well right yeah because if you played ping pong and if you played tennis it's somewhere between those two things and and so uh, it was it's fun and and you know what the other thing that i didn't realize until i did it that first time was it's a better workout than you think Hmm. like you you know you look at it and you think well how much of a workout can that be well guess what pretty good it's a pretty good workout well the reason i brought a pickleball was as we were coming to air 
um, there is a professional league that is starting mm -hmm. with some pretty heavy hitters investment wise. Yeah. And they just said that their teams are, are uh, valued at North of $10 million already. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's what they're saying. Well, I mean, I can understand uh, why this, this sport has picked up because it, it, it's one of those, it, it's really portable, right? You know, yep. here in Canada, you know, so my sister plays pickleball. She plays in a, in, in community centers in Toronto. She plays in high school gyms in Toronto. Mm -hmm. She can find a game every day of the week by looking in her community calendar. You know, the drop in Wednesday at the Leaside Rec Center is here on Friday if you want to play there. So depending on what her schedule is, she'll just drop in and, and play against, you know, women of roughly the same age and, and, and ability and, uh, and there's always, you know, people waiting to play, lined up to play. The next group is coming on. So it's it, it really does seem to have taken the, the country by storm. And I think it's just it, it's a way more accessible sport. Like, let's face it. I mean, tennis, if you didn't learn tennis early in your life, it's a tough sport to pick up as an adult. You know, I think golf is a tough sport to pick up as an adult. But I think you can, I pick can up, attest to that. Yeah. Yes. But I think you can pick up pickleball pretty quickly if you have any kind of reasonable eye to hand coordination and, you know, quick feet, as you say. So my last one, and I promise we'll move to hockey. What happened to racquetball? Because <laughs> okay. I played, I sure, right, the eighties, yeah, yeah, racquetball yeah. and, and squash, right? Yeah. And I remember when we moved to Fort McMurray and we got the uh, the apartment we had. Yeah. One of the selling points, we have a racquetball court, mm -hmm. and as a as a tenant, you can use. We played racquetball all the time. What happened to racquetball? I don't know. That's a good question because I I, I, I always think there's a Woody Allen movie. I'm not sure if it was Annie Hall or Manhattan, but he's in there playing racquetball and. Uh, and, you know, and people are getting hit by racquetballs and people are getting hit by it. And maybe that's what it is. You know, maybe it, it just got to the point where, uh, where there were too many injuries. Right. So, but squash has survived. Squash right? has so, survived. They, they, don't they do a tournament downtown? Sure. Yeah. Squash. So squash is still popular and, yeah. and racquetball has disappeared. So I, I was a racquetball player, you know, a, you know, occasionally. Headband? Know. Did you wear a headband? I did, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I think that don't that's, tell anyone. No, but that speaks to that speaks to how serious you took it. <laughs> well, again, it, it, like any racket sport, if you have a, you know, if, if you play one, you can usually play play yeah. them all. I know that you know the, the one thing that my wife says is that you know she tried squash a couple of times because she was a high level tennis player, and it messed up her tennis game so much that she just stopped playing squash because she found that uh, that you know that she she couldn't hit a tennis ball after really? she was on a squash court yeah it has to do with uh you know like the the, the stiffness of your arm and and you okay know, like yeah the, yeah uh, you know tennis isn't as wristy yeah and so uh so all of a sudden you start to play a, a racket sport that's all wristy and, and then suddenly you can't go back and play uh and play tennis so wristy wristy, wristy. no no it makes, <laughs> it makes perfect sense it really does um are we talking about racket sports because the the free agency really kind of died on the vine a little bit in terms of previous free agencies? It, it was a this has been an odd couple of weeks in the NHL, yeah. is it not? Well, so but I thought this year's free agency was really interesting. You're right; it, it came and went so fast. Yeah, you know, normal yeah. normally uh, there are more players lingering in day two, day three, day seven, even week seven. Sometimes uh, you know players that fall through the cracks in the early stages and then don't get signed until August and September, and then this year the first hour to me was was fascinating because not only did a lot of players sign but but the, the history of, of NHL free agency is in the first hour that's when people give out stupid term and, mm -hmm. and crazy money mm -hmm. and uh and often you know the, the the team that wins is really the team that loses because you know you might win the bidding war but five minutes after the ink is dried on the contract it's like we we paid how much yeah. for player x how much so I often you know characterize it 
in the past as uh, as you know the, the the winners were the losers in, in free agency and, and this year it was the opposite you know like right out of the gate you know Blake Wheeler eight hundred thousand with a little bit of bonus like Blake Wheeler like, I don't care what you may may think of him and and whatever chemist you know dynamic in the in the in the Jets chem dressing room was was out of sync this guy for that amount of money on that Rangers team is an unbelievable bargain and it was one after the other I mean when Matt Duchesne signed for one year at three million it was like are you kidding because you know nashville doesn't qualify him and he immediately he rocks to the top of all of our boards of available well, that was what agents. we were talking about last friday yeah. right that news broke just before we sure. came yeah. yeah and and so and then all of a sudden he takes this you know one-year contract to go to to dallas now the explanation is obvious you know yeah. so many teams are capped out there just wasn't a, a very much money in the system but my feeling was that that well i guess what i will tell you is that the agents read the market really well and i think they they made their clients aware of of what this year was going mm -hmm. to look like and what the options were and one of the options was okay let's find a place that is a good fit for you personally for 12 months and we're not going to worry too much about how much money to make we're going to we're going to try and put you in the best position to succeed on that team at that price and a year from now when there is more money in the system and two years from now when there's a lot more money in the system if you succeed in this situation you will be able to you know get a, a salary more in line with with what you expect and so i i just think that that's what happened uh, in free agency all those those short-term contracts were people looking for the best possible fit to put themselves in a situation to succeed and 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 then they'll worry about you know getting extra compensation in in, in the years ahead so so uh, you know and then and then once then occasionally you had a, a contract that was like huh that's old school like you know alex kaloran signs with yeah. with uh, anaheim for 25 million over four years i like the player a lot uh, and i think that I, I even understand the fit there the idea that you know anaheim has these these really good young players you need players that mm -hmm. uh, you know that can set a, a mood in the dressing room but six point two five for Alice Cullen, that that's that's too much money. That's just too much money. We we were doing trade grades at the Athletic where I work right now, and uh, I think it was Dom and Shane Goldman and I. And and my first thought was, I said, okay, is this the first like crazy overpay? And and Dom goes, yep. And then Shane, yep. And we 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 like within the first ten seconds, we we saw that yeah. uh, as exactly the same thing. And I like the other thing that that Anaheim did. I mean, their defense last year was very very thin. Um, and very very easy to play against and so they got one of the meanest toughest players in in the league Radko Gudis for a pretty good price so you know An Anaheim was hard to it was hard to assess because I thought one of their signings was great mm -hmm. and I thought the other one was just a, a, a real overpay especially considering what the market looked like a couple of teams that really and we talked about Nashville last week but Barry Trotz is had a plan and he's stuck to it. He they have really remade that Nashville team very quickly. Now it's going to take a while, but they they have a definite plan. Ryan O'Reilly again, I think not unlike Kalorn is probably the dressing room guy, sure. right? He's yeah. come in and teach us how to be pros. Sure, exactly. But Ryan O'Reilly four times four point five, right? So so 
So almost $2 million less per year than mm-hmm. Alex Kaloran. So then you look, yeah. okay, both have played on Stanley Cup champions. Ryan O'Reilly was a Conn Smythe winner yeah. in St. Louis. Kaloran, a support player on, on some pretty good Tampa teams. But, you know, but but he he, he has won championships as well. So you're right. The, the idea of bringing them in uh, meets, you know, ticks the same box. But Ryan O'Reilly is a center, uh, not a winger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and. I just think that 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 is far better value, you know, one oh, over the sure. other. Yeah. And then I like I look at Gus Nyquist, I look at Luke Shen. So it's clear, yeah, they're they're trying to change the chemistry there. But again, this is a, a subject that you brought up last week, which I agree with. That you know, Nashville down the stretch with Duchesne out, with Johansson out, with Forsberg out, uh, you know, Roman Yossi missed some uh, important time. And they were still a really competitive team. They, so. they played hard and yep. they played. Um, and, and so I think that when they gave the, the young players in their system coming through the, the ranks and, and OK, uh, I understand it's sort of garbage time, although they were kind of in the in, in the race right to the end, um, that you can't equate how they play down the stretch with how they'll play at, at the start of the season. But I think that when they assessed these uh, the the performance the collective performance of you know of the Tomasinos and yep. and the players like that that they felt that they needed the opportunity to to continue to play in in the, in those those top nine slash top six minutes even because they were getting the opportunity because the the, the big guys were out so by shedding Duchesne and Johansson um, you know they they got the, the the money off the books. Forsberg is coming back. I think he's still a, a really important piece there. So if you look at it, you know they've got a top goaltender in Saros. They have, uh, you know, a, a, a Norris Trophy mm-hmm. finalist from two years ago in, in Yossi. Uh, you know, a dynamic player in Forsberg. Now they've got some dressing room leadership, and they've got all these young players that they're really excited about. So, you know, to me, that's what, one of those teams where you know nobody really saw the surge that New Jersey might have this year. Like, you know, if you looked at, at, uh, at the start of last year, you know, they were 50 to one or 75 to one to win the cup and, you know, and then they were not considered a playoff team. And yet, you know, they made strides. Why? Because those young players collectively all made a jump at the same time. So I, I see that as a possibility in Nashville. That, that's a team on the rise for sure. And I don't think it's going to take that long. I think that was one of the reasons that they brought in those veteran guys. They could have just, you know, pressed forward with the same uh, group that they finished the year with and, and, and said, you know, let's just give them, you know, some runway and a, a chance to, to, to succeed. But, but I think that they, the, the players that they're supplementing them with are really nice fits. And I, I think that's going to be a good hockey team and a, and a fun team to watch because they're going to work. Yeah. They're going to work that whole Smashville ethic, which they seemingly lost for a period of time. They were, you know, getting it back last year. And, and I think they're just going to take it one step further now. I profess that I, I mean, I saw the transactions, but I guess maybe I wasn't thinking deeply about them, but I was a little taken aback by some of the criticism that Steve Eiserman has taken in Detroit. What did you make or what have you made of what has been an interesting couple of weeks for, for that club and some of the deals that they've done? Well, I understand a little bit of the criticism simply because I think that what they're they're doing is they're they're bringing in more players that are like the players that they already had, right? Mm-hmm. So last year they go into the market and get Andrew Cobb, right? A really good consistent middle of the lineup kind of a player and then this year they you know paid a lot of money i thought for jt comfort another really good middle of the lineup player like comfort got five one and and 
and he, he had a really good year. I mean, he had 52 points, I think, in 82 games. I looked it up. His time on ice was around 14th in, in the National Hockey League, you know, more than Austin Matthews, more than more than a lot of key players. But that was usage, right? I mean, you yep. know, Carolina or Colorado was so was so uh, thin and, and they had so many injuries that the top four or five forwards there played among the most minutes of any forward in the league. So it's hard for me to imagine that that Comfort can duplicate those those numbers. And he never has up until this point. So if he digs in as a 50-plus a player for the rest of his career, then, then that might not be a bad contract. But if he goes back to being a... F- 40 point player that's a lot of money and so you know i look at at detroit and and yeah i understand why you want to to have those good pros in the lineup because you've got these young players coming through but i think the feeling was that that this was an opportunity to swing bigger and and maybe they needed to swing bigger if they wanted to get competitive right away um if you look at um i think if you if you take the cumulative nhl standings over the past five years I think Detroit is last. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they have not been a good team. I yeah. think that the people who expressed patience with the Iser plan are starting to get a little bit impatient. You know, I think that five years they feel is enough and they want to see that team take some some strides forward. And, you know, to me, they, they, they're they improving. But if you look at all the teams that, that were roughly rebuilding at the same time with Detroit, Buffalo, Ottawa, New Jersey, it seems to me that the other three are all further ahead than Detroit is right now. So yeah. patience is a, is a virtue until you get to year five of the rebuild. And, and now I think people want to see a little bit more oomph in the lineup. And, and the free agent acquisitions don't give you oomph. They give you solid. They give you steady. But you already had solid and steady. So, you know, I'm, and I'm not sure, you know, that there necessarily even was anyone in, in that marketplace that could have been that pizzazz kind of a, well, of a signing. Is Debrinket that? If, well, if I, they land him, yes, and and I and and so that would that that that's that's the problem with uh, with people trying to assess things conclusively now because yeah. you know uh, you know let, let's let's switch just for a second to Toronto. So after day one of free agency, like Bradford Living is probably the worst general manager in the history of the Leafs. I mean, the social media killed him. They just killed him, right? And then one day later, oh, wait, wait, Tyler Bertuzzi? We got Tyler Bertuzzi, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I then, know. wait, we, we got Max Domi? He's the best general manager we've ever had. So the, oh man, the pendulum swung. Oh, <laughs> oh and we're going to talk about it anyway, but yeah, it really, <laughs> I mean, that's the Brad Trilly when we got to know here, right? Oh yeah, well, you know, he, I mean, he had, you know, again, all, you know, a, 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 a finger in, in every pie, right? That, that's Brad, Absolutely. That's Brad's uh, negotiating style. So you, there was no way, you know, I'm looking at, at these day one assessments of the Leafs and, oh, they, they just got clobbered. And, 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 and I have to say, I, you know, like sure. I said it out loud. Yeah. Let's wait to see how this whole thing plays out and, until you, you know, until you assess that final grade. But of course, nobody wants to do that in this day and age. So getting back to your question, you are correct. If they land Alex Debrink, a local kid, you know, a sniper, um, he's got star power. He's got, you know, he can score, I think. How many players have scored 100 goals the last three years in the NHL? Just a handful, and he's one of them. Yeah. So, so he, he, I think he, he would be a great addition. And if you can fit him in, then everything else makes a lot of sense. Unusual. I don't know if it's that newsworthy or noteworthy, but it's unusual. Philip Zadina, uh, you know, the contract being uh, ended. You know, you don't see that very often. And the player has a role to play in this too, right? He agrees to it. Um, does he play again in the NHL? That's a great question. I don't know. He's a player that I, I, 
I haven't paid enough attention to, you know, he hardly plays. I don't think he makes you pay attention. Well, no, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think what, what people will do is they'll go back to his draft pedigree and, uh, and they'll look at their scouting reports for what they may have liked about him when he was coming through the ranks, first round pick. So there had to be something there that, that caught your eye. Not old yet, um, obviously in a situation where it just wasn't working out there. So now it's time to, to move on. Now, you know, one of the things I mentioned 10 or 15 minutes ago was that, you know, sometimes you do need a fresh start and there will be teams looking for that. So there'll be opportunity in, in places. Uh, you know, Anaheim isn't deep. Nope. You know, Arizona better, better than they were. A few interesting free agent acquisitions, but there would be a, a, a chance to succeed there. So there, there may be selective um places where he could go and and just get his career back on track is that going to be in north america or in europe uh, you know I, I think there's still a lot of volatility in in europe in terms of the khl and then and then the, the, the domestic leagues there so uh I, i'm guessing he doesn't probably want to go back to the czechia right away I, I think he's looking for an nhl opportunity and then it'll be up to his agent i mean the, I, I, what i would say is you probably only agree to do that uh, if you have some expression of interest somewhere else, or or, or a, what, uh, or or an inkling that there's a better opportunity for you, and it may not be for a lot of money, but again, you know, if if you're a young player right now and your career has dead ended with one team and you need to go somewhere else, fit, fit, not dollars, is the most important thing. Give yourself an opportunity to succeed. Well, that's um, oh, I'm blanking um, Russian drafted by Dallas now in Colorado. Nichushkin, Nichushkin, right? Yeah. That yeah. he was a he was a cat. He was done, right? It was a bad. It was a it yeah. was a wasted pick. Yeah, and then he gets a seven year deal in, in in Colorado. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he did go back to you know to, to Russia and then, yeah. and then back to North America. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can rehab your career pretty easily. I, I think that was, you know, when 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 Jesse Yarvi went back to Finland after being with mm -hmm. the others for a while. You know, I think the feeling was that a year there would allow him to, you know, just mature, you know, on on every level, not just yeah. physically, and then come back and and be a better fit. And I think the hope and expectation was that he he would. And and now it's twice that he's had that opportunity opportunity it hasn't worked out so so i'm not sure where he's going to go next but there but there wasn't exactly a, a bidding war for him either so he may end up having to go back and play in europe and then and just see where, where things stand after a year or two two of them you already talked about toronto but two of the more active teams in free agency are going to be tied at the hip all year long because dubas used to be in mm -hmm. toronto's now in pittsburgh and tree living's in toronto and that matters uh for a lot of the, the country um but pittsburgh also like toronto very active Get, got a lot done i don't know if they got a lot of the right things done but they got a lot done well uh, i i let's start with the goaltender uh you know the, the, most of last year again you know, this is pre kyle dubas the you know the feeling that i got uh from our from our correspondence mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh was that that Jerry wasn't going to be the goalie there you know that there's a reason he was going to uh, to UFA that uh, they tried with him and it just hadn't worked out and so the fact that uh that and and there was there was there were a lot of goaltending options uh, available uh, in free agency and, and even on the trade market you know we're, we're you know we're hearing about Connor Hellebuck we're hearing about John Gibson nothing's materialized there but I I think it, at some point in the next 12 months both of those goaltenders will will move on so if the fact that they made that financial commitment you know more than five million dollars to Jerry and, and the term uh, you know they're dug in on him and, and so I, I I'm not it's not clear in my mind what changed there like why all of a sudden they they developed 
faith in, in a goaltender that certainly the previous regime did not appear to have a, have faith in. So I thought that was a little bit unusual. And frankly, I thought it was an overpay considering uh, the way um, goaltending stocks rise and fall all the time. I would, uh, I like the, the shorter term low dollar gambling plays a lot better than, than giving term to a to goalie that has been really up and down during a period of time. So that's one. Um, and then, you know, I, I look at the, you know, the rumors linking Eric Carlson to, to Pittsburgh. And, you know, so that's, you know, Jeff Petrie going the other way, first round draft choice, San Jose eating three million of the contract. And now Eric Carlson and Chris Letang are two of your six defensemen. So if if that's the final outcome of everything that's gone on in Pittsburgh. I love that. You okay. know, I, I really yep. love that because they're a veteran team. Yep. And I think then uh, Carlson just adds a, like a dimension uh, that wasn't there before. Um, you know, I, I don't think losing Jason Zucker is, was that big a deal. Um, you know, the fact that he had to take one year with Arizona at five, one or whatever, makes me think that there wasn't a, you know, a ton of opportunity for him. I think a lot of people thought, well, you know, he did bounce back, but he has had a series of injuries. Mm -hmm. He's had uh, inconsistency, yeah. inconsistent years before this year. And, you know, and, and, but again, in, in, in other years and other free agent periods, a player like that might get, you know, five times five, but in this market, he, he did not. So, so I, I I'm, I'm going to give Pittsburgh an incomplete because I, I don't think the, you know, the final shoe has dropped there. Okay. And once that final shoe drops, then I think we'll be able to assess everything else. Is it fair to look at Kyle Dubas and and be critical of his evaluation of goaltending. Matt Murray was, you know, Matt Murray was kind of out, you know, nobody really, but he really wanted him. He went out and got him. Mm -hmm. You know, he acquired David Riddick at the deadline and then Riddick's bounced around. Uh, you know, I think you could make that same evaluation here in Calgary, I suppose, you know, that finally they settle on Markstrom after, you know, five or six years post or I guess longer than that, but post Kiprasov, right? right? You yeah. go through them with, but, but it just seems like that one area has always been a bugaboo for Dubas led teams. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, uh, I, I, sometimes I just put that down to, to the goaltenders themselves, yeah. right? You yep. know, you think about Philadelphia, uh, you know, if, if there's one franchise in the National Hockey League that has had real trouble settling on hmm. on a goaltender, sure. you know, when you you think about you know Ron Hextall for a while, Bernie, for, Bernie Perrant was was the guy for a while. Ron Hextall was the guy for a while. Pelly Lindbergh was the Would guy for a while. Right? It, it, yeah. was, yeah. It, it was it was it was it was it was a position of strength for a long time for the earliest years of the franchise, and then it's just been a black hole ever since. Yeah. And uh, but but you're right. It. it um, I mean, I, again, you know, it, it, it's harder to make trades in the real world than it is in my fantasy league. But I, <laughs> I but I looked at Pittsburgh and, you know, the idea like, you know, there, there's, you know, something percolating with John Gibson, you know, the, publicly uh, all is sweetness and, and light. But I but I, I don't think that he's going to be the long term solution uh, in, in goal for, for Anaheim. I think he is going to be on the move. He is from Pittsburgh. He is signed for three or four more years. I, because I see Anaheim a lot, think he's a great goaltender who played on a really poor team for the last few years. A team that had um, 
you know, just a, just a very thin defense yep. playing in front of him and, uh, and, and a, a real high risk defense. So, you know, like the high danger chances that he was facing were, I think, as, 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 as difficult as any goaltender in the National Hockey League. So like in my evaluation, this guy is, is a significant upgrade over Tristan Jerry. And so if the money is roughly the same, because you probably could have gotten Anaheim to eat a, a million dollars. And yes, Jari cost you nothing because he's he's your own free agent or you know he, I guess he was he went to market uh, officially um you know there is an asset that has to go back to to trade for John Gibson maybe more assets but I still would rather have 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 done that but again that's their internal evaluation of, of the goaltending market and and you know and 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 probably they did not want to give up the assets needed to to acquire a, a John Gibson. So it will be interesting to see how that situation resolves itself. I mean, to me, there's still two teams, Buffalo and New Jersey, that could really use, you know, uh, stability in net. Yeah. And if and if you have a young team on the rise, like those two teams are, if you can get that one missing piece, stability in the net, Hellebuck, Gibson, Gibson, Hellebuck, one of those two pieces, I think that that takes you to another level. That's not the solution for every team in the National Hockey League, but for those two yep. teams, I think it absolutely is. Um, one last one, and when I want to circle back to the Canadian clubs and the local team, but and that has to do with when agents get fired during free agency. <laughs> Um, tell me about your, what you see from the Tarasenko camp. Now it's JP Barry's turn. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's wild, but I, I, again, Tarasenko linked to Ottawa. Is that what we believe? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's one of the, uh, one of the possible destinations. I, I think Carolina is another. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, so I, I Sometimes, and, and again, I, I, I don't know exactly what went on between Tarasenko and Paul Theofanis, who was his, uh, who was his representative that was fired. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, in, well, in this particular case, sometimes the player doesn't want to hear what the agent is saying. And, and that's, mm-hmm. and, and I, I've, I don't talk to agents as much as I once did, but when I was doing satellite hot stove and, and you know, and, 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 and trying to do that insider shtick, um, you, you talk to agents. And, and one of the things that, that came through was that, you know, as an agent, you can offer the best possible advice, but your client doesn't necessarily have to take that advice. And so in, in this particular case, it's possible that Tarasenko may have overvalued uh, what his contributions are. I mean, if, if you're if you're taking a step back and you look at at this player, so he asked for a trade out of St. Louis years before. Uh, St. Louis wasn't able to accommodate him. And that's because he was making too much money and he had an injury history. He had mm-hmm. you know shoulder surgery and no one was sure how he would play coming back off of that. So so he had to prove to the league at large that he was uh, healthy again, which he did. You know, mm-hmm. he had a really a really good year. He gets traded at the deadline to New York as a rental um, was just so-so, but you know, that happens, you know, an awful lot of, again, the history of, of players that go as a rental sometimes, you know, the, it's not an instantaneous fit. And then, you know, the season ends really quickly and, and it, can you truly evaluate but his performance in that sort of snapshot, trying to fit into a new team and so on and so forth. So it, it's not completely fair to him, but that's the reality of it. So the Rangers, I think he wanted to go back and play for them. They just don't have the the, the, the money to do it. And if they did have the money, 
you know, I mean, I think that's where Patrick Kane is going to end up. So Patrick Kane, probably around November, once he's recovered from this hip resurfacing procedure that he's had, will sign a contract and it'll probably be for short term. It probably won't be for a lot of money, but it will be for an opportunity to to prove to himself that he can play, prove yeah. to a team that he can play. Uh, and, and I think New York is that team. And so I think that the Rangers are probably holding open a spot in their minds for Patrick Kane. So where does Tarasenko fit in? He doesn't. And so, you know, so now you're, you're, you know, as an agent, you're going to the player and saying, okay, so, you know, look at what's happening in the marketplace. You know, people are taking one year to go to a, a, a team. And then if, uh, it, you know, if, if it works out, then you can get a long-term extension. The one, one thing people that hasn't been written about very much, but it's, but it is true. So if you sign a one-year contract with a team, after January 1st, you can sign an extension. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like how many how many of these one-year contracts were negotiated where, you know, there's kind of a tacit understanding that if it works out, we will take care of you as the, the cap goes sure. up. We don't have the money to pay you today, but we will have the money to pay you down the road. I mean, I think a lot of us were a little bit suspicious of that uh, Kotkaniemi contract. So he signs the, yeah. the one-year contract. Uh, Offer sheet goes there and then, you know, oh, all of a sudden this, you know, this long-term contract uh, materializes and there wasn't anything in his play that first year in, in Carolina that made you think, wow, you know, the, the, you know, this, this <laughs> locking this, him up at the right time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I mean, is that cap evasion? Not really, you know, like you can't officially sign anybody, but, but you know, the, you and I can have an understanding, sure. of, uh, you know, uh, that uh, if it works out, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take care of you. So, so again, I don't know what went on in the negotiations or the discussions between the agent and, and Tarasenko, but I suspect, uh, you know, if, if an agent is, is doing his job, it's like, this is something that you have to look at and, uh, and, and, Probably he wasn't that interested in looking at it. So, you know, as you say, JP Barry and Pat Brisson have now taken over the file and uh, they're circling back to all of the teams and, and, you know, they're going to see what's out there for him and then they will sit him down. And if the message from them is the same as it was from the former agent, then, then the player has to decide, okay, maybe, maybe they're right. So, but I, I, I mean, I think if, if Debrinket moves on to uh, to Detroit, that's a great opportunity for Tarasenko as long as he doesn't mind playing in Canada, which a lot of players don't want to do. Yep. Um, Carolina is another one of those teams. They bargain. They're the greatest bargain hunters in the league. The one thing I would say about, about a team like Carolina is that if you go in there on a one-year contract, it doesn't necessarily mean, in this, in, and have a great year, it doesn't necessarily mean in the summer of 2024 that you're going to get that pot of, of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, they that's a team that has been more than prepared to move on from Mm -hmm. the likes of you know dougie hamilton and uh you know player after player they they just they make very uh, hard loyalty is an interesting thing in carolina you you know they they have it for rod brindamore and they have it for certain players but you're absolutely right right like and then there's other players that you know don't let the door hit you on the way out well exactly i mean if if uh, i think a lot of people believe that after july the 9th so what are we two days away from that that the the D'Angelo trade with Philadelphia is going to go through. So so they tried. So Philadelphia tried to trade Tony D'Angelo back to Carolina uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we're told that they couldn't do it because of a provision in the CBA that you can't trade a player back yep. until a full calendar year has passed. So the calendar year comes up in two days' time, and I think the feeling is that D'Angelo will 
will land back with Carolina. Well, then Carolina's got too many defensemen, which you don't hear people say that very often. So that puts pressure then on the Brett Pesci's and all of the, you know, Brett Pesci's in the same boat in Carolina as, as Noah Hannafin is here, a year away from, from UFA, real good player, uh, probably deserves a raise. Is he getting it from Carolina? Well, history suggests that maybe not. So, uh, so yeah, that it will be interesting to see where it goes. Well, you know, you know, you brought that up. Uh, it, it's uh, the same with Vegas. You know, Vegas, mm -hmm. Vegas moves, moves on from Riley Smith. Yeah, you know, to sign uh, Barbashev. And uh, I was watching the second day of the NHL draft, and they had George McPhee on the on the broadcast. And and you know, George, you know, it was the right answer. It was like it's really hard to do. You know that, uh, you know, he, he was an original Golden Misfit. He says, you know, we care about the player here, but the, the team comes first. The team always has to come first. So that's been the operating philosophy in Vegas. It's been the operating philosophy in Carolina. Both of those teams are very, very successful. So I do think this this old-fashioned notion of, of loyalty to a player, uh, which you've seen lots in the 40-plus years that I've covered the National Hockey League, I think that it's going away a little bit. Yeah, I do too. Um, let's deal with our own backyard the the calgary flames craig conroy um jordan osterley is the only nhl signing one-year deal matt phillips goes to washington but other than that it's been very very quiet um i know the barn burner guys have been a little critical because they feel like the the time to trade players has come and gone um are we critical of of craig is craig you know you said it right off the top. This is <laughs> this is usually when uh, your winners are, are automatically your losers. Calgary really hasn't done much. No, no, and uh, I mean, this. So this is a difficult thing for me to assess for a lot of the reasons that yep. I gave earlier, which is that you know I, I don't know what what the finished plan or product is here right so I, th I think that a lot depends on on how negotiations are going with Elias Lindholm so my understanding or at least my interpretation of of what's going on there is that Lindholm still is trying to decide whether he wants to to you know take a long-term contract extension in in Calgary or or play out the final year of his contract and then you know shop the market and so th there's I think what they're doing is they're, you know, he's asking for time and they're giving him mm -hmm. time. And I think that he's the domino that, that really is, is critical because if, if, if you can't trade him, uh, then, you know, then I think you have to start the season with this group mostly intact and, and see where it goes. So to, to the point that you raised, yeah, I, I think the opportunity to, to move big pieces out, uh, usually it's tied to the draft. Yep. So you get yep. draft choices coming back. So that that has shifted. Um, you don't often see blockbusters at this stage of the summer. Nope. And uh, and then you know teams now are trying to get their caps uh, sorted out. And then you know the, the history of the National Hockey League, you know, in the salary cap era, is that it's trade gridlock from October until December. Now, teams traditionally overpay for rentals at the trade deadline. And this is a, a conversation I had with Craig Conrad, you know, even before he took the job, you know, the idea that, you know, does a player have as much or more value at the trade deadline than they would have in the summer? So let's use Lindholm as an example. Yep. So he's a guy that's on, you know, a very uh, uh, 
a good contract, 4.85, I think. Um, three quarters of that is gone at the trade deadline. If the Flames decide to move him, can you imagine what an Elias Lindholm can bring back at that point? I mean, you know, they gave up a first rounder for, for Tyler Toffoli, you know, not the same player. Nope. Not the same player. Nope. And so I think that any team that imagines itself a Stanley Cup contender would look at Lindholm and, I mean, maybe maybe that's two first-round picks. You know, Hannafin for sure is at least a first-round pick. So if you can get, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you if 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 all if that's all that's on the table now, why not you know bring him in, let him play, see how it goes. I think that you know I I, I try to look at it from the perspective of the player. So let's take the dollars out of it. Let let's let's just say okay. So we had this difficult year and it didn't end the way we wanted. So now we have a new manager that's created a positive environment. We've got a new coach, first chance to be a, an NHL head coach. Let, let's see, let's see what it's like. You know, what's to, what's to prevent Elias Lindholm from in, on December the 1st saying, you know, I really like it here. You know, I like the direction that we're going under, under Ryan Huska. Uh, I think we've got a really good team here. Um, let's, you know, let, let, give me that pen and, yeah. and we'll sign the contract now. And, and that's, that's what I would do. Like if, 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 if I was that player, I'm not sure that I would necessarily just on, on, on the basis of changes that I haven't seen play out yet, uh, agree to a contract extension. I, I think it's, it, it's a, a tremendous amount to ask of a player, take it on faith that yep. we are, we are doing it yep. the right way. So my response would be, well, let, let me see. I, I want to go to training camp. I want to see what camp is like. I want to see who I'm playing with. I want to see what kind of a team we've got. I want to see if we're competitive. I want to see if I enjoy coming to work every day. I want to see if my family is, still enjoys it here. Mm -hmm. And I, if after you know two months into the season, the answer is yes to all of those things, then then there's nothing to prevent him, them from signing their own player to to a contract extension. Then, so again, a lot of the world that we live in wants an answer today, and I got oh that. absolutely, I got that. Yeah. So, uh, but I just don't think there is an answer today, uh, especially not on on Lindholm. Now, Hannafin, you know, you could argue that 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 ship for sure has sailed right now because the two teams that really needed what he brought to the mix were Buffalo and Florida. Well, Florida signed four defensemen. Four. Now, none of them are in the in Hannafin's no. class, but they are trying to get through the first couple of months of the season because they're going to be missing their, their two top players because of injuries. But Ekblad and Montour are coming back. So they believe that with these four defensemen that they've got coming in there, that they they're going to buy themselves time, hopefully be competitive. And then when they get their, you know, their their two A defensemen back, that they're going to be fine. So, you know, when you look around the National Hockey League at, at teams that need what Hannafin brings, you know, a couple of them aren't don't need that anymore. You know, yep. I think Buffalo feels that Eric Johnson, you know, again, older, but brings some experience. You know, Connor Clifton, again, not not in Hannafin's class, but a guy who who played as a three and, uh, you know, the third pair guy in, in Boston, but they feel that we could maybe even play up the, the depth chart. They, they're signed now. Then those are bodies that go in along with the group that they've got, which includes Owen power and, and Rasmus Dahl and Samuelson, the good young uh, player, you know, they're fine. So that, that to me might be the one case where there was an opportunity lost. doesn't mean that, you know, again, we get to the trade deadline, players are going to get injured and teams, oh, te yeah. teams that have, you know that feel that they're they're you know fine on defense today uh, when they're not playing hockey are 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 going to want what Hannafin brings you know in February and March so if they're still of a mind to move him if 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. He's still of a mind that no matter what happens this year, he doesn't want to, to stay on. I think there will be an opportunity to even maximize value for him then rather than today. Like they could probably go out and trade him for something tomorrow, but what would be the point? Of well, that? that that's just it, right? And what were you offered in? What were you offered at the draft? Yeah. Well, I was kind of hoping that they could trade him to Buffalo for Peyton Krebs and something. That, oh, I just, yeah. I yeah, just, yeah. I, I thought, you know, I look at, you know, Krebs, Calgary kid. I think you have to, that, that has to count for something. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you think about, uh, about how difficult it is for Canadian teams to recruit nowadays, I, I think, you know, having the hometown guy matters. I mean, why, why did Claude Giroux go to Ottawa? A hometown guy, right? right. I mean, he, you know, Claude Giroux would not have been interested in coming here or Edmonton or, or those other places, but he has ties to that community that counts. And I think that that has to, to, to bear into the- It's interesting you raise that because one of the things I said about Conroy was he didn't give into that urge with Matt Phillips. He could have offered Matt Phillips a one-way contract and said, well, I've always believed in him and he's a local guy. Instead they offered him two years, two way and he gets the one way. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not critical of the move at all. I get the move, but there's another local guy. Sure. Yeah. I think a different level of, Oh, a completely different level of player. So I, I, and I'm not suggesting that you do that just to, just to oh, have no, 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 guys. It's, but, it's but an I, extra. But I, I look at yeah. Krebs, you know, like he's a guy that, you know, can pro- will probably play as a three this year, but I think has the upside to play as two. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe, you know, not the, the greatest size, but not bad. You mm-hmm. know, six, I think 60190, something like that. So, uh, and, and again, everything, um, you know, I remember a scout telling me one time when they were interviewing uh, players about um you know in, in his draft class and and it was like uh you know who do you uh, most want to play with and and who have you enjoyed uh, most playing with and the answer to the latter question was always Peyton Krebs he was just considered like a huge important glue guy yeah. In, yeah. in in those those uh, national those junior national team dressing rooms and you know it's just somebody that you want in your mix you know a guy who can play uh, a guy who's from here and a guy who still has some upside i think 
for all intents and purposes, 23, 22, 23 has ended mm -hmm. a little bit of free agency left, perhaps 23, 24. Mm -hmm. I want you to get out your crystal ball mm -hmm. and, and help me with some things. All right. Is best on best competition be, going to become a big story this year, or does it remain kind of in quagmire with Russia, Ukraine war? Yeah, I, I think the latter. Okay. That, that's my reading of it. Uh, I, I think internally the National Hockey League hoped that uh, uh, that the conflict in, in Russia and Ukraine would um, be resolved by now, or, or, or I mean, not whether it be resolved, but some end in sight doesn't look like that that's happening anytime soon. And uh, and and I don't think that they feel that they can go forward with with best on best without Russia. Mm -hmm. And uh, and if they can't go forward with best on best without Russia, then you know that that pushes things back again. So yeah. uh, the the original plan, as you know, was to try and have a World Cup of Hockey in February of 2024. Um, they pushed that back. I think the decision was made around Christmas time, just because of the you know uncertainty of the geopolitical side of the equation and uh, it takes if, if if you had bill daly sitting in that chair over there he would tell you that these these things take years to organize like you you know you can the, the minute you decide okay we're playing the world cup in whatever you need at, at least 12 months to get oh for sure or, or more yeah. so so i think now the earliest we're looking at is possibly february of 2025 but you know like if you're asking me my opinion i i think it's going to be the olympics in, in in italy that will be the next opportunity for best on best because under the terms of of the collective bargaining agreement that they signed during the uh during the pandemic, you know, the NHL committed to, to two Olympics, one which they withdrew from for COVID reasons, but they are still committed to, to 2026 in, in, in Italy. Now there is provision, there is language in the agreement that allows them to withdraw from that as well, but they would have to have a pretty good reason to, to do so. And that's being, that's an event that's uh, run on the auspices of the IOC and the IHF. So, so really it wouldn't have like the NHL has very limited uh, in, in involvement in that. Um, but from a player's point of view, it doesn't matter. You know, it, I think that the appetite uh, is very great for, for best on best. So, so, but, but the other thing, and I, I raised this in a column a couple of months ago, just as a blue sky idea, the idea that, if you can't have a full best on best, would would there be value to having a summit series style uh, of competition, Canada versus the United States, Sweden versus Finland, um, you know, like a, a, a tournament within the, you know, the, the Central European countries, like assuming again, the Russia is not involved in the mix, but could you have Czechia, Slovakia, mm -hmm. Switzerland, Germany, Austria, you know, have a, you know, like a, a, a mini summit series among, among those rivals, uh, a Scandinavian summit series and, 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 a, and a Canada us summit series, like we had the 72 summit series, you know, where you, but make yep. it a best of seven. And then you have the best Canadians against the best Americans. So it's not for an Olympic gold medal. It's not for a world cup championship, but, but I do think, you know, when you think about you know, what Canada and U.S. looks like at, at World Juniors, like it, it's great, right? It's it's so much fun, and I agree. Uh, and and so in the you know simply because you you don't have that option right now of having a true best on best, is there some other format that you could have that would engage the players, you know, and engage the fan base? And the other thing that has come up in the past, and I haven't heard a lot of it lately, so I, so take this with 
grain of salt. But but one of the things that they wanted to, as they've they, as they put together like what they think is a permanent international calendar is a Ryder Cup style of competition, right? So then you'd have a North American team against a, a European team modeled after golf's Ryder, yep. Ryder Cup. And you could still do a version of that and simply exclude Russia. So you could have the best players from all the European countries, you know, minus mm -hmm. the Russians versus the best players from North America and it would be a Ryder Cup style format. I think that that was always something that they had in mind down the road uh, and um, and and I haven't heard it come up uh, among any the decision makers that I talked to recently but uh, but somewhere in in our lifetimes I, I I suspect that something like that will also appear on the international hockey uh, calendar. Is this the season in which we get a definitive um, roadmap for Gary Bettman's tenure? Hmm, that's a good question, too. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, um, I, I don't have my notes in front of me because I know he signed a, a contract yep. extension. And my guess is that... Uh, that this will be the last contract right. uh, that, that he has. I remember teasing him once. So, so at the turn, you know, turn of the last decade, 2020, I was doing a, you know, what hockey looks like 10 years out. And uh, I think I braced the commissioner at the outdoor game in, in, in Regina. And I, had seven or eight questions for him. I think the last one was, uh, who's the commissioner of the league in 2030? And you did a little mental calculation and said, well, I'll be 70. Yeah, I think you can safely predict it'll be somebody else by then, right? So so we're halfway through 2023, you know? So he's on the record from three and a half years ago saying he's not going to make it to, to 2030. So there's your six and a half year window. Um, like I said, I wish I had my uh, my file in front of me because I could tell, then tell you when his contract expires. I think it's like 25 or 26. So I do think that that somewhere in the next three years, we'll get clarification about uh, about Gary Bettman's status. And then the most interesting question then is, is will it continue to be business as usual, which is what would happen if the deputy commissioner, Bill Daly, was elevated to the top job? I think he would do a really good job. Yeah. Or, you know, are you looking for a completely different style of leadership at that point? And, uh, and then, then, then you go out and and form a search committee and, and start, you know, you know, checking around to see if there's, there's someone with a different vision uh, over how you can make your business better. Um, th that to me will be interesting because I think that if, if, if you do come in with uh, a, a group with a complete fresh approach, um, then you might actually start to see some movement on things like, you know, concussions and, and just, you know, some of the, yep. some of the issues that the old regime has kind of dug in on. Yep. Um, but I, I, I suspect that, uh, that, you know, the, if, if you were to brace the, the current owners in the league and ask them about the work that Gary Bettman has done, they, you know, on the record, off the record, they, they think he's done a great job. They, they feel that, uh, that he's grown the business within uh, as much as, as you can for a sport like ice hockey, which is not basketball, not football, not baseball. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the franchise values are, are ridiculously high now compared to what they were when he first took over as, as commissioner. And so, um, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be a significant shift in, in even if there is a change in leadership in, in the way they go about doing their business at the national hockey league level. Last one for you. And it, it, another story that broke last week when we were on, or just before we came on. And that was that, uh, the PWPA bought the uh, mm -hmm. PHF. Uh, we're now going to have one women's hockey mm -hmm. league, Stan Kasdan, who's, 
long been connected with the NHL and Major League mm-hmm. Baseball was involved. By the end of the upcoming season, is the NHL have its arm around this league? Will the NHL be more of a, a partner for women's hockey? Hmm. Well, that's a really good question, Rob. And 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 I don't know if I could definitively predict that it will happen by the end of the year. I think probably what the National Hockey League wants to do is see what this league looks like in a, in its first year, and, and then make it uh, make it a decision at that point. So my guess is that uh, that for now it's like good luck to you. Uh, we love what you're doing here. This is this is for sure a step in the right direction. You know, play your first season, and then we once your first season is in the books, let's talk. That would be my guess okay. in in terms of when the conversation starts. Could be earlier, but if you're asking me for a prediction, they probably want to see if this really is the answer and uh, and at that point you know to use your term i think i like that term actually wrap your arms around them i, I think um i think probably the summer of 2024 is when that starts to happen so a year from now yeah yep um this was cool this was fun it was nice to get back and do this um i know it was only half a season but man it was a lot of fun and it sure went by quick um you know it, it, again never dull i i don't know what it is but it's never dull well, that's because sports is is unpredictable, right? And, right? and so, you know, like, you know, a week after we we talk, it's like, whoa, didn't see that coming. No, nope. yeah. or, or sometimes it's like, yeah, we did see that. <laughs> Once in a while we do. But no, you're right. It's fun. And, and as you know, Rob, I mean, the only reason why I'm sitting here beside you is because I enjoy these conversations. Yeah. If I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it. I couldn't be bothered, but I do like it. And I appreciate the fact that you invite me on. And I hope that uh, we can continue, uh, you know, when, what, what is it, the 2023-24 season? I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Rob, that'll be year 46 for me in, as a full-time sports writer, year 46. Yeah. Year 46. Yeah, year, year 23 for me. 23. So, so oh, you're, you're, you've got a long way to go. Oh, today. yeah, yeah. you yeah, got no, a long no, way to miles. go. <laughs> oh, miles, miles, miles. Um, have a great summer. All right. Um, we will talk to you in the fall. But uh, between now and then, take a break if you can. Yeah, I'm hoping to. Yeah, I'm hoping to fairly soon. Yeah, fairly soon. And and if you need me at some point, somebody you know doesn't show up, and you want to just talk hockey in July and August, you know how to reach. I me. know how to reach you. Thanks, right. pal. Okay, thank you, Eric Danchik from the Athletic. Uh, our final visit for the 22-23 hockey season, of course. He's brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com. Again, it's the middle of summer. The four locations are closed up for the next month or two, and then they'll open up again in the fall, and it will be on Ski Seller Snowboard, SkiSellerSnowboard.com. Live today, of course, as we always are, from the Oodle Noodle Studio. We're not just crazy about noodles. Uh, we put the same energy back into the community. Two locations in Calgary and area, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie, pickup and delivery. Yes, the stampede started today, but underway in our city is a significant major international sporting event, and uh, we're going to talk about it as we're very pleased to welcome in our next guest. Again, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. It is the Yonix Canada Open at Windsport. It's already, I, I believe, four days in, but uh, the weekend, uh, worth, your, worth checking it out. Uh, very pleased that Jeff Bell, the executive director of Badminton, Alberta, and also the tournament director joining us this afternoon. Jeff, thanks for doing this. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This is, uh, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. Nearly a half a million dollars American in prize money. 
uh, the best players in the world. I, I mean, I'm giving away the ending here, but tell us a little bit about this tournament. Yeah, so the first week of July wouldn't be the first week of July. And if we weren't sharing space at Windsport Event Center with the Calgary Flames and their rookie camp going on. So we <laughs> have taken over two ice surfaces. We've got the main ice surface that we've set up. Uh, we started with four uh, portable mats down, making a competition area. And we've also this year taken Arena B and have converted that into six practice courts, two warm-up courts and a player's lounge. Um, so by moving up from our former status of Super 100 that we were at since 2015, we missed a couple of years of COVID. We mm -hmm. made the decision that we wanted to try to go big time and uh, made the conscious decision of investing uh, up to the Super 500 level. Uh, it's a significant increase in prize money. Um, yep. We're up now, there's there's five or there's nine different hosts at this level. We're, we're competing with Hong Kong, Indonesia, Korea, Malaysia, Thailand, Finland, Australia, and Japan. And then there's little old Canada sitting in here, a obscure place like Calgary for badminton. But um, if somebody doesn't have the vision to do it, uh, we would never do things. So anyway, we, we badminton Alberta and our group of, of volunteers with the... Uh, leadership of our national federation badminton canada who is the the rights holder um we made application and and won and here we are we're we're in quarterfinal friday today our matches started at noon they'll go till about eight o'clock tonight we've got semifinals tomorrow starting at noon uh finishing probably seven and then we've got our final starting at noon on sunday um unfortunately there's no canadians left uh, that's, oh. that's maybe, that's maybe sad, but it's, uh, maybe it's a good thing. Um, in the previous years, Canadians have won this event, but now that mm -hmm. the best players in the world are here, uh, it's just that much harder to, uh, to reach the podium. The decision to go from being a 100 to a 500, how difficult was that? And, and I think you gave us a glimpse, but I'll ask the question anyway, the logic behind it, the the impetus behind it. What what does it do, or what could it do for the game in our country? Yeah. So it was it was probably a lot of my decision. I'm fortunate enough to travel the world as a referee for the Badminton World Federation in both able body and para. So okay. I see I see firsthand what other countries, what other hosts are doing, and I came home called our colleagues at Badminton Canada and says, look, there's no reason why we can't be doing this. We're one of the nine founding members of the International Federation back in the early 1900s. We've, it looks like we've given up. I'm not a, a, I'm not a quitter. Let's, let's find some sponsors and let's, let's get that next level here to Canada. So when I began with Badminton Alberta 33 years ago, all of our players came from the two private sports clubs in Calgary and the two private sports clubs in Edmonton. If you weren't someone with those kinds of financial resources to belong to the Winter Club, the Glencoe, the Royal Glenora, the Derrick, then you really didn't have a chance to be competitive in the sport of badminton. But 20 years ago, we've got some, some Asian coaches, players that moved into communities like Markham, Ontario and Richmond, BC. 
They either buy or they purchase warehouses. They convert them into single purpose badminton clubs. We now have mm-hmm. four of those in Calgary. Uh, so in the last 10 years, we've probably got an additional 75 badminton courts dedicated solely to badminton. Edmonton now has two warehouse clubs. So the number of kids and adults that are able to play on a full-time basis, 365 days a year because of these facilities, the the demand and the sport, the interest in badminton. Uh, Badminton World Federation does an amazing job streaming all of their tournaments throughout the world. Our event is being streamed. Our event is being internationally broadcast to probably somewhere between 50 and 100 million homes. Uh, across the world. Unfortunately, we don't have a domestic carrier that that wants to be a host broadcaster. We we do have CBC, which is going to be airing it on their, their web uh, portion of their broadcast. But yep. the, the exposure now, the interest of our badminton fans to follow the top players in the world is, is just incredible. Holy crap. I've got like nine questions that come out of that answer. So let me go back to the one that really you got me thinking. Um, the the warehouse clubs. That is an idea that I had 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 conversations with other sports. We don't have to get into who, but there's lots of sports that need facilities. And they just never seem to get past that. Can you explain to me and, and our listeners how how we got those built? Um, how we got people to buy into, you know, not necessarily a purpose building, purposely built building, but converting a building. That's, that's awesome work. Well, I think the leader in Calgary was Don Saxon with, with the Volley Dome. He started it at the Oval. He's now over on, on Deerfoot. He's just left Cross Iron Mills and has a, a massive facility up, up by the airport. Um, Yep. It started with a lady in in Mississauga. She's here as a sponsor. She just flew in today from from Toronto. Uh, The other individual is her brother-in-law, Daryl Young, who's in Richmond, BC. He owns a couple of of facilities in Richmond. He owns one in Calgary. He owns one in Orlando. Um, It's it's a significant investment to be Mm -hmm. able to find a landlord that wants anything other than warehouse distribution. We, we bring some parking issues. I, sure. I think they're, they're able to uh, negotiate with the landlord that the majority of our traffic within sport is coming in after the warehouses have closed for the day. Quite often they'll play into the early evenings or early, early mornings. There's a lot, of, a lot of players that maybe work in the restaurant industry that are, that are self-employed. They have no problems playing badminton two or three in the morning. Uh, there's some clubs in on our... Um, in Richmond, they're open 24 hours just to cater to who the, their demographic is. Um, unfortunately, in Calgary, all of the warehouses exist on the east side of the city. So there's going to be very few of yeah. these available in the in the deep south or in in the west. Um, right. But so- soccer has lived in this deep southeast and the deep northwest for years. So we're, we're, yeah. our, our people aren't opposed to, you know, to to move across the city to play who's who's playing jeff who's who's playing and and i'll I'll preface that by saying um i'm one of the converts that thought when new canadians came in we hand them a hockey stick and skates to teach them hockey and i've soon learned that it's it's far better and we're far more um welcoming when we meet them with sports that they know 
um, are new Canadians bringing badminton with them? Are we creating, you know, uh, badminton players here in Canada? Where are the players coming from? Yeah. So when I began with badminton Alberta 32 years ago, we may have had five non-Caucasians playing the sport of badminton in our competitive tournaments within the juniors. Now I can be one of five or six Caucasians in the facility. Our, our participants are all, they might be second generation, but, mm-hmm. but they are coming from Southeast Asia, Korea, Japan, Indonesia, Malaysia, India. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we're a real melting pot for the sport. Yeah, but that's that's the nature of the country too, though, right? Like the yes. country is is becoming that. It's reflective. Um, tell me about female participation too. Uh, is it is it equal men women? Well, is this a sport that we have equity and, and equality in? So at this level, our prize money is distributed equally. We we do play five events: men's singles, ladies singles, men's doubles, ladies doubles, mixed. Uh, at, at, at this level, our qualifying events are fixed. The main draw is fixed at 32 entries. Qualifying is fixed at eight entries other than men's singles, which is 16. We did have a couple of openings in ladies' doubles and mixed doubles. Uh, because the nature or, or the, the location of where those reserve players would come from, they physically have to be here at the team manager's meeting, which is held on Monday before the tournament starts. If they're not able to agree to be here, then their spot is is taken away. Um, if if this was a tournament in Asia, those spots would be filled and there'd never be a vacancy even within qualifying. So uh, it is a unique place. Uh, the Babington World Federation needs a a whole month to be able to hold two weeks in North America. There's got to be a week of travel for the players to travel here and get accustomed to time zones. In our case, elevation. Elevation, sure. Yeah, so it's elevation is a big concern for the flight of our shuttle. We use we use feather shuttles made out of goose feathers. Most badminton playing nations are a couple hundred feet above sea level. They play with a very different speed of shuttle we're sitting here almost on a mountaintop we're 35 36 3700 feet maybe 12 1300 meters yonex japan has to custom make a shuttle slow enough for us so that it can be played unaltered we if it was regular provincial play we would take a shuttle that's too fast we would just we would just tip the feathers outwards trying to produce sort of a parachuting effect but at at the world-class level like this we have to have three speeds of shuttles. We we can do no manipulation other than for me, I stick them in a steamer and we give them a couple days worth of, of humidification before we play with them. You just blew my mind. I had no idea. The science is that particular, the athlete is that particular, the coaches are that particular that you have to manipulate the, the shuttlecock to the environment and the altitude that we're at. There, there's incredible science here. Yeah, so so Yonex Japan would generally ask us for temperature readings, humidity readings, elevation, and they would create a shuttle specifically for us. They typically will ask for a number of samples back so that they can then do 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 some post match testing to make sure that uh, wow everything was according. Um, 
I want to come back to Canada and, and our in youth in a second, but I, it, since we're down this path anyway about the, the particulars of the, the equipment, I want to ask you about the particulars of the athlete. My understanding is that you, you have the world's number one female player. You have the reigning world men's champion and Olympic champion. That's new for this tournament, I think, as you set off the top, right? You, you just have the better quality players here. Yeah, we've, we've, we've had the odd marquee superstar 2015 first year we held it uh a young man came off of a doping infraction from malaysia lee chong Wei. we we sold out uh we patted ourselves on the back and thought we really knew how to run a tournament but we really didn't have a clue um <laughs> he's he's now coming back this year yonex international yonex japan is bringing four of the greatest legends in the modern era to Calgary Sunday morning. They're here Saturday morning doing a clinic for our juniors. Each mm -hmm. club was okay. invited to uh, nominate three players and a coach. So we've got uh, Telfik from Indonesia. We've got Peter Gade from Denmark. We've got Lee Chong Wei from Malaysia. We've got Lee Young Day, a doubles player from Korea. These are all multi-time Olympic or world champions. Uh, Yonex has has created a vision that that they now move these people throughout the world with with the real goal of giving back, uh, creating a working environment amongst clubs. They they want to try to promote uh, communication and and uh, cooperation between clubs to work together for the for the betterment of badminton in Canada. So. They landed in Markham and, and Richmond on Wednesday. They did clinics yesterday in those two cities. They had a watch party where they met and uh, sat with the players and critiqued the matches going on at the Canada Open, other than our mm. little power outage and uh, rain and hailstorm yesterday. Mm. And uh, those, those individuals are flying in, into Calgary this morning. And they're going to be putting on a one-hour exhibition before our finals. So anybody that has a finals ticket on Sunday is in for a real treat to watch these these four these four gentlemen play. Holy cow! Um, what's the typical badminton top-end player like? Are they, you know, are they are, are they typical high-end athletes? Are they different? Uh, how would you describe dealing with the best players in the world? These guys are freaks. Um, they go from a, they go from a four foot nine Japanese girl that uh, is is as sturdy as any hockey player you'll ever find, but she can move around the court just amazing. Yep. There'll, there'll be men here that are six three, six four. If the Russians were here, they're six seven, six eight. Um, they're they're single sport athletes, but uh, their footwork, their hand-eye coordination, their their ability to recover and play play day in and day out is is just absolutely amazing. So the amount of off-court conditioning, mental imagery, massage treatment that they yeah. get, um, they appear broken at times, but uh, they fight through it and. Uh, and out, out they go. We we had the reigning uh, world men's singles Olympic gold medalist Victor Axelson scheduled to come. Uh, European Championships were held last week, and uh, fortunately for him, he was able to win. 
but sustained a small injury, so he okay. had to withdraw at the last minute. He's gotcha. uh, he's six four. He's just a freak of nature. How talented and and mobile he is. Of course, the the Asian players, Japan, Indonesia, they can be very slight, smaller in frame, but they can jump, you know, three or four feet. Um, I'm I'm sitting in the uh, home of the Calgary Surge dressing room here at Windsport, and and I know those guys brag on how how tall or vertical they have, but I think there's some players here that could probably outjump them. <laughs> the business of selling Calgary. Um, wh- what has the response been from the the players, the coaches, the top end? You know, players in the world are now here. Stampede just started. Um, you know, Windsport's got some great views, but. What is the feedback you're getting from the players about the tournament? So, so our partners at, at Calgary Tourism were fairly adamant that they didn't want an event held during Stampede, um, and and I can understand why with the cost of hotels. But we didn't have a lot of choice. The International Badminton Federation controls the schedule, and uh, they left it up to us. We could find two countries in the world that wanted to trade with us. I have no interest to bring players to Canada when it's minus 20 or 30 in in the winter. So for me as a Calgarian to be able to have our city showcased when our players arrived on the first, they didn't know that the fireworks wasn't for them. They didn't understand what a national holiday was (laughs) and I I wasn't going to tell them. Um, I I think it's great that they get to see some of the Western hospitality. There was a great fireworks show last night. You know, they had, they had country and Western bands meeting them at the airport. The, the I I think it's I think it's an amazing opportunity for us to be able to show our Western culture and heritage to them. I I wish our venue and our hotel was a little closer to downtown where they could get out mm-hmm. and experience the pancake breakfast in the Stephen Avenue Mall. But um, th- these guys, they're they're professional teams. They travel no different than our hockey teams. If you're Canadian, American, maybe some of the Europeans that are traveling independently, they have a little bit more freedom to go and be just to be young kids because these guys are they're 17 to 30. They're they're still young people missing home. They've got to do their own laundry. Um, I, I think it's an amazing experience that they get to come here during our busiest time come back and, and we'll finish on the, uh, the weekend and the tournament, but I do want to ask, and you've alluded to a little bit, but talk about the legacy and, and your hopes and dreams for this tournament in terms of growing the sport, not only in Calgary, but Alberta and, and across, across the country. What, what are your immediate goals when it comes to, to growing badminton? Sure. Some of it is, is helping us build and, and improve the capacity of our volunteers. Uh, right now, our, our association staff, we have two individuals. Through Canada Summer Jobs, I hire 14 summer students. I get them for eight weeks. There are lieutenants. They're running the event. We then have approximately 200 volunteers that come in from all over Western Canada. They come for various roles, of course. Their primary reason is because they want to be up and close to the players. They want to maybe get the extra autograph. Uh, but for us, for us, it's building that capacity of, of volunteers. We offer uh, an invitation to any of the other PSOs across the country in Babington. If they want to support their staff, we'll, we'll gladly take them in. Our, our goal is just to improve 
the level of play across Canada, the improve the the appreciation of of how fast and exciting the game of badminton is. I think Calgary badminton players are extremely spoiled by being able to have this in our backyard, but we bring volunteers down from Fort McMurray, Edmonton. There's a couple boys from Saskatoon that have come in. Um, lady flew in from Ontario that we've got BC. So it's, it, our, our national associations here, they're taking inventory. Um, I, I think we're all really pleased on what the level of athlete is this year. Uh, we hope it doesn't break the bank. Our our ticket mm-hmm. sales have been have been very strong for Saturday and Sunday. I do, I think that's in part due to the legends going to be here. Um, sure. We've never put up TV lights before. I don't think Wind Sports ever had this many TV lights hanging from the ceiling. We still didn't get it right, but we'll 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 do inventory this year and make it right for next year. Um, so it's it's just an exciting. Uh, ultimately, um, Calgary hosted World Championships back in 1985 when the Saddle Dome opened. My goal mm-hmm. is that we're we're in the loop to host the World Championships when our next new Calgary Event Center opens. Twenty uh, seven ish, twenty eight is yeah. off the map because that's the LA Olympics. So right, we're looking at either twenty seven or twenty nine. If I'm if I'm still going strong enough to be crazy enough to do this, but uh, um, that's that's what our goal is. We at least make application and and make the make the rest of the countries in the world you know be aware that 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 there is an interest here for Canada to improve. Do we have? Do we need a high performance training center? I'm a firm believer of yes, and whether it's okay. one or whether it's two, uh, we used to have one at the Glencoe Club. We had it there for 25 years. When when I came on, it was there. There was a conscious effort to disband it. Uh, it might have been politically related with a different part of the country. Um, our, le- our level fell dramatically because of that. We, we're now relying on clubs for all the club development. But any, any major power in the world, in the sport, has centralized training. It, it maybe isn't 12 months a year, but they do operate a concept of, of centralized training where athletes do come in, they learn, they're tested, and they might go back and work with their own club coaches. But um, that seems to be a proven method. And, and, and we haven't got the results to be supporting what we're currently doing. So I would... I would think we need to look back at that model. The flip side of that, and and it's more important to me than others, is okay. If we talked about the high performance, let's talk about grassroots. What kind of programming do you have for grassroots and getting a racket and and into somebody's a kid's hand and getting them try it? Is is there school programming? How do you get that next generation of player engaged? Yeah, so we're really fortunate that Babington is part of the school curriculum. But it's it's um it's an it falls into a three or four week period at the end of basketball before track and field. Easter falls within the three or four weeks that it's played gotcha. at high school. Uh, we are fortunate. Every every Babin, every gym in the in the province has Babington lines. Um, our our major clubs in the big cities, including a new club in Lethbridge couple of clubs in, in Red Deer, club in Fort McMurray, Calgary and Edmonton, there's no problem 
We as an association run a, a large youth development program in the city of Calgary at Mount Royal University, University of Calgary, and about four or five public schools. It's the outlying areas where, right. where we, we know that the star, the, the multi-sport athlete is there. The old, you know, refer yep. back to the Sutter, you know, the Sutter philosophy mm -hmm. where you play ball in the summer and hockey in the winter. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm afraid to say that with our dedicated badminton facilities, we've got kids that are trying to dedicate themselves 12 months a year. They're, they're, they're under 11, they're under 13. They, they need to play a different sport, a team sport. Uh, yep. learn, to, learn to run, learn to jump. If, if, if a young kid starts badminton at five, they're always going to be better than, than the kid that started it at 12 or 13. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to play on. And, and with, with the nature of our members, um, you know, within the Indian community, the Asian community, education is paramount. So we have those kids as a junior. But when mm -hmm. it's time for those kids to go to university, badminton is 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 done there. So it's mm. it's it's really tough. Um, they do come back as as an adult, and the good thing is, it's the same game that they played as a teenager when they come back after university, or they're established in their in their new career. The rules haven't changed. The court hasn't changed. We do just lose them. So it's it's not a it's not an easy sport to make a living in. There are a few that do it full time in Canada. So your your family or your community really has to have deep pockets to support a young player that wants to be an international player. There are some donation programs where they can get donors can get tax receipts, but it is it is a lot of friends and family, maybe yep. no different than a lot of other sort of smaller sports. They somehow make it happen. Um, but, uh, you know, we started the new Olympic qualifying cycle here in the first of May, and that's that's what's on every young kid's mind is is they want to make the Olympics, and it's it's a it's a tough journey from Canada. Tell us a little bit about the the next couple of days. Uh, you mentioned ticket sales are strong. Are there tickets still available? There are tickets. There are a lot of tickets available for Saturday. Um, okay. Sundays Sundays getting a little bit scarce just because of yeah of the legends. They can find all of that information on CanadaOpen.net. Uh, hopefully, the website has has enough information that uh, can be found. Absolutely, um, okay. this is great. This is fantastic. I love it when big time sports come to our city. I love it that we were able to have a, a really robust conversation on where the sport fits. Because uh, again, I'm a, a believer in in making sure. I love. What what you said about early specialization another great opportunity for a kid who might be a hockey player to get different cross training is to play a little badminton or a basketball player or a soccer player we need more of that so i love the message uh jeff thanks so much for spending some time with us today and best of luck the rest of the weekend thanks very much rob jeff bell the executive director of badminton alberta and also the tournament director for the onyx calgary or canada open at Winsport, tickets still available, CanadaOpen.net. Um, great. The, anytime you can bring the best in the world, um, Spruce Meadows is another example of that. Hell, we were talking about that off the top. I mean, the Stampede, you get the best rodeo athletes in the world. You get the best chuck wagon uh, riders and outfits in the world. Um, it's such a great 
time right now uh, with the CBL going and with the Canadian professional. And by the way, the CPL, uh, the, we haven't even talked about the Stampeders. They're in action tonight in Winnipeg. Um, trying to, again, another team that's been a thorn in their side for the last little while. By the way, uh, Jeff Bell brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary. You don't accidentally open your doors for 76 years. Now, they have four locations in the winter. All the locations have now closed for the summer, but they will be open in a month or so. Check them out online 24-7 at skisellersnowboard.com. Uh, time now for our final mile. Boy, we got a lot to cover. Where should we start? Um, oh, we said the snaps. I just wanted to point this out. I, I tweeted this yesterday. Um, we do a great thing of highlighting stuff and then just forgetting about it. But here's a young man uh, now doing a Punjabi version of Stamps Television. And uh, Terranjot, I believe is how, and I apologize, Terranjot, if I said it wrong. Um, He's doing that because Harnarine Singh. Harnarine Singh is the guy that kicked the door down a decade or more ago. Um, and if you haven't read the book, uh, it's worth it, like getting Harnarine's book. But we're talking about, you know, Harnarine paid for his own way to Toronto, slept in the airport, and so he didn't have to pay a hotel, fly back every weekend to do the games on his own dime. Uh, then, you know, got wildly popular as he should have, but he did flames TV and other things, but that opened the door. Brian Wong does uh, flames TV in Chinese and, and there's um, the hitmen have done um, hitman games in Blackfoot. True diversity, equity, and inclusion means you got to give opportunities and you can't just have them at the top end. It can't just be the best. It can't just, it has to trickle down new faces, new voices out there. So I just wanted to point that out. And once again, Pat Harnarayan sing on the back because he's a trailblazer. He's a pioneer and he's paved the way for others. And so often we just kind of, ah, oh yeah. But this one I wanted to, to talk about. Um, speaking of the flames, let's go to the foundation for a second. Um, do not ever give enough love to Candace Gowdy and the Flames Foundation because there isn't enough love to give. This is just recent community grant charitable donations. When we talk about the importance of, of sports teams, professional entities, uh, and why there's an investment in community and in facilities and things like that, it's because you're, you've got to be giving back. Um, you know, the, the, the foundation does it at a level that nobody else can do it at uh, in many cases. Uh, but I, I, I know what the cavalry are doing in their community. I'm, you know, full disclosure, I'm trying to set that up for the, well, we are setting it up for the surge. We are doing community program. That's part of the responsibility you have as a team. But credit to Candace and uh, her group over at the Flames Foundation who continue to pour money back into the community here in uh, Calgary. All right. Uh, a little bit of fun tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow afternoon, um, Dungeon Wrestling has a card. And I just want to give a little bit of love to them. Um, it's got a great card. There's some uh, uh, wrestlers on that. Uh, PCO's in town. Um, they're, oh, I'm blanking on a couple of the other ones. But I think Moose is here. Uh, Giselle Shaw, I believe. 
so again, with the Billingtons, with Harry Smith Jr., with uh, Mo Jabari, with Michael Blaze, all of our local favorites, um, love these guys. Uh, they did a great job uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, we went to the uh, Boomer and I were both at the event. Um, next Friday, by the way, uh, Brent Gibbs will rejoin us. We did a, a WrestleMania show with Brent a couple months ago, and it was really popular and a lot of people liked it. Uh, AEW is coming to Calgary on the 15th for the first time ever, Collision. And uh, we're going to preview that. Uh, but I just wanted to give a little love to Dungeon Wrestling, which is local wrestling. And finally, um, Riley Budd, young man. I've mentioned him a couple of times, but it's official. He is your Hockey Alberta um, Player of the Year. He... he uh, raised $700 for Heroes Hockey. He has helped our goaltenders. He is a young man, uh, not, well, 15, but just 15, that has got his head so screwed on straight and is such an incredibly nice young kid who is doing good in the community. Are there better goalies? I don't know. Are there better human beings? This I can answer, no. So I just wanted to point out to Riley Bud and his family and his teammates and everybody at the North Stars, there is your Hockey Alberta Player of the Year and just a great kid. We talked about him before, but it's official now. Uh, Monday. Holy cow, what a show we have for you. Um, our good friend Cammy Kepke is going to co-host with us. Uh, we have Carla McLeod. Uh, Chechia's head coach, two medals at the last two world championships. Uh, she's going to spend some time with it. We're going to find out if she's been interviewing for other jobs here this summer. I want to know. And then Tatum Amy is going to join us in studio. Tatum, of course, is your uh, U-Sports Women's Hockey Player of the Year. She was uh, signed with the Buffalo Buttes until last week. And then as part of the merger uh, with the Women's Hockey League, her contract was voided. So uh, we got lots to talk about with Tatum. And then next week also is our kind of our start to our summer schedule. No Wednesday shows. We'll pick up Wednesday shows after Labor Day, but between now and Labor Day, just Mondays and Fridays. And as I mentioned, Friday, Brent Gibbs is going to come in and he's going to co-host. We're going to talk a little wrestling. Thanks to Eric DeHatchek for joining us from The Athletic. Thanks to Jeff Bell, the executive director of Babington, Alberta, also the tournament director for the Yonix Canada Open, which is on today, tomorrow, and Sunday at Winsport. Thanks to Jack, our outstanding producer, for putting together another great week for us. And thank you, as always, for downloading, listening, uh, saying something nice, passing it along, telling a friend, uh, all those types of things, but more importantly, forgetting what we do and, and who we are and being you. Just Thank you for being you. Have a great stampede. If you're gone stampeding for a while, have a great weekend. We're back on Monday. Thanks, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.